You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. And the only way for it to feel good and the only way to get better is just being unspectacular for a spectacular amount of time. And it's not about being great every so often. It's just about being good frequently. And it's the same thing with nutrition. Like you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be good. That was Jonathan Lovett. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, welcome. Welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. You're listening to episode 139. Shout out to our sponsor, Mad Ritual CBD. Not only do they have this amazing CBD balm, they just launched CBD-infused bath bombs. Whether you're an athlete, fitness class enthusiast, or simply on the move, we all know CBD is a game changer when it comes to healing and recovery. But more about this later. I am very psyched to connect you with today's guest, Jonathan Levitt. Jonathan is the host of a really awesome podcast, For the Long Run, which is all about running, of course. An ultra marathoner himself, Jonathan connects with runners of all levels and industry experts about running long, strong, and staying motivated. Some of his 100 plus guests include Hoka, Northern Arizona elites, Ben Rosario and Alphine Tulemuk, also Olympian and Bowerman Track Club coach, Shalane Flanagan, New York Times senior editor and reporter, Lindsey Krauss, and Olympian and author, of Be a Bravey, Alexi Pappas, and so many more. Jonathan is also the sales and endurance team manager for one of my favorite health and wellness companies, Inside Tracker, which is how we met. On today's episode, I sync up with Jonathan about where and how his running journey began, how he went from six mile runs and the Boston Marathon to ultra running and rim to rim to rim. We talk about his podcast and where it all began. We talk about some of the great running lessons he has learned from his many guests. And he shares how he has recalibrated his training during COVID times. I hope you enjoy. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to your app, scroll through the Marnie on the Move podcast episodes, Click on the five stars and then click on write a review and tell me what you love about the show. Also, feel free to DM us, ask us any questions, move one at gmail.com. And as always, share on your social media stories on Instagram or Facebook. Tell your friends and spread the word if you love the podcast. Now, on to the episode. Today's episode is fueled by Mad Ritual CBD. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a really big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high quality 
CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm is off the charts amazing. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100-plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So, if you are sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women athletes and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, and use the code Marnie on the Move. Now, on to the episode. I've been watching you on Instagram and I see all of your trail runs out in the country and like <laughs> there's like drool coming out. Like I'm, like I'm like, oh, I wish I could be in the country. I went to a pool the other day and I felt guilty taking a picture and posting it on Instagram. <laughs> so, um, so yes, yeah, so how did you like, I mean, you've been running for a while. I mean, that's like your whole, uh, you know, your whole look and feel on Instagram and obviously your podcast, The Long Run, which I love that features all these amazing runners uh, from elite to professional, recreational, as well as experts and professionals in the world of running. So not just runners. And you also work at one of the coolest wellness companies on my radar right now, Inside Tracker. So where did your journey into running and health and wellness begin? So it was sort of like by chance, and not by chance, but like it was an odd start. So I was watching the 2013 Boston Marathon and I was in Wellesley and this is the halfway point. And I was like, look at all these people that are different shapes and sizes all running a marathon. And my longest run at that point was like seven miles. And so here, here I was at, at, it was technically mile 12. I was like, these people like of all shapes and sizes are five miles beyond the furthest I've ever traveled on foot in my life. And they're doing it. And then they're doing another 14 miles. Maybe, you know, I'm pretty fit. I was 23 at the time, 22. And I was like, why can't I do it? So then the marathon bombing happened and, um, the next day I put on my running shoes. I put on my blue and yellow clothes and, and, um, parked at the top of basically at the top of heartbreak Hill, like mile 20 and a half on the course ran to the finish line or ran as close as I could get to the finish right, line. Cause it was all closed before, off. Yeah. Before being turned around by a SWAT team uh, who said, you can't be here right now. Uh, cause there was an active manhunt happening and I turned around and ran back and that was my first half marathon. And it was incredible. It was awful. It was, uh, you know, everything in between. But I ended up getting a stress fracture because I was wearing the toe shoes. And um, I went from basically couch to half marathon to couch. So you didn't even, like, you had only run seven miles and then you just decided to do a half marathon. Yeah. So mm. that was my first, my first half marathon. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. This running thing is cool. Um, I should probably be smarter about it. Yeah. 
that's really cool. I mean, that you are able to do that the next, like that next day. I mean, yeah. what I watched that on television, it was like so heartbreaking and I can't even imagine what it was like to be in Boston at that time and even to be anywhere near the course. Yeah, it was bizarre. I mean, it was like everything was shut down. There were, it kind of looks like I would imagine Boston did, you know, a week or two ago with SWAT teams everywhere and helicopters in the air and nobody knew what was happening and nobody knew what was next. And then, you know, there were shootouts you know, in, in Cambridge. And it was uh, pretty scary, <laughs> to say the least. And did you end up, have you done the Boston Marathon? I've done it twice now, yeah. You have. So how many marathons have you done so far? I think six. Um, and I've, I've fun run a marathon also, like a training run uh, leading up to, um, leading up to rim to rim to rim last year. So I've, I've run the marathon distance seven times is that your is that what you did um you've run the marathon distance seven times and then you also said you've done a 50k and a 40 mile in, and a 40 mile day in the grand canyon yes. what were those two races that you did so the 50k was supposed to be north face california um in 2018 but it was canceled due to the wildfires mm -hmm. and um so the tuesday of that of that race week, my friend who, whose dad has a, has a house out in Truckee in Tahoe, um, texted us or texted my friend, Jenny and I, who had been training together. We had been training together. We had done all of our long runs together. It was going to be my first 50 K and her first marathon. And she was like, Hey, do you want to come out to Tahoe where the air was cleaner? Cause it's, you know, 7,000 feet and run, uh, run your distances on some of my favorite trails. And, we both said yes. We flew out to California the next day, straight into this like smog. It was disgusting. And you had to, again, you had to wear a face mask all the time for a different reason. But I was like getting sick and it was, I took a, a lift and I almost threw up in the lift. It was like, it was gross. So we went out to Tahoe the next day on Thursday. And in between that, I put out a couple of Instagram posts and tweets because I like to make things bigger and more impactful. And within a couple of hours, we had raised some money and we had a bunch of people that were interested in participating. We called it a fat ass 50K. Uh, was planning to you know, run this, basically a couple of, of out and backs um, starting from Donner Summit, which was, it's about 8,000 or 7,000 feet. I got a note from my friend Maeve, who who managed the elite team of trail runners for North Face at the time, and she was like, "Hey, we're gonna match whatever you guys fundraise." So I posted that on social media. All the North Face athletes started promoting that, and then it sort of snowballed from there. So we raised a couple hundred dollars, and a couple thousand dollars, and we're up to like five thousand dollars, and she called me and was like, Hey, you have my word that we're going to match whatever you raise. So we ended up raising $10,000, which was doubled to $20,000. That's amazing. Um, yeah. They also made a donation for $125,000 that they didn't really promote or talk about. And so they, they basically donated $130,000. The North face. Yes. But what was cooler was all of these pro athletes that were planning to, to race, and this was supposed to be their last race of the season, but they had it canceled. 
they came out and ran with us and they, you know, some of their followers came out and ran with us. And so we had 50 people run this, we called it a fat ass 50 K. It wasn't a race. It was just like, you know, a run, like a leisurely run with the average elevation being 8,300 feet. Um, so that was challenging. Yeah. I was going to um, say, did you do any like training for that? Like altitude? No, no, no. I mean, cause I was planning to run a race in, in California. Marin. Yeah. Um, yeah, where you can see the ocean. So right. it's, you know, your your highest point is like 200 feet up. So it was like zero to 60 with that. And then, so that was my first 50K experience. And then, then I've run the rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. That was last fall. And that was 40 something miles, 40, between 42 and 45, depending on <laughs> whose watch you looked at. <laughs> and um, you did that in one day. Yeah, that was uh, just under 13 hours. And, and so the, the 50K was my longest time on feet prior to that. And that was just over seven hours. And we got to the North Rim in just over seven hours. So it was essentially doubling my longest duration run ever. And looking back into the canyon, seeing how far we had come, knowing that that was the, the longest that I'd ever gone before in my life was very surreal because I didn't know what was coming next. And that was like utterly exhilarating. That sounds utterly exhilarating. (laughs) (laughs) It was. What is it about running that you love so much? So for me, it's the, it's the unknown and it's like, what's next. It's how are you going to deal with it? And the, there's kind of three parts for me. So it's, it's that it's like, finding your new normal, continuing to, I call it level up. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever used to, like last year, I was consistently running 60 mile weeks and my average was like 55 miles a week. And I used to peak at like 48 or 50 and that would absolutely destroy me running 50 miles in a week. For how but, long? Like every week? For the entire for, year or do you do it like do you have like seasons or periodization that you're doing the yeah, training? Yeah, definitely periodization. But um, my I believe my average weekly mileage last year was 55 miles a week across all 52 weeks. So wow. I had That's some awesome. in the 70s. Cool. Yeah. And, and but what's cool about that is like that was totally unattainable the year prior or um, even doing 20 miles less a week was like really hard. Um, but that just became the new normal. And that was like, oh, like now base training is 50 miles a week. Right. And that's like what I can rattle off, like feeling awesome. And, you know, three years ago, that would have been like my all out peak mileage week. And so that's, that's the second part that I love. And the third part is the community. Um, the running community is just the best and particularly the trail community because of, you know, what I talked about with with Tahoe like all these people came together to support each other and support fundraising and just like have a good time under pretty terrible circumstances and that's just like that's that's normal within this community I think that the running community globally is just so powerful and incredible and also I do love discovering things through running and exploration which is kind of like what I love about running, but I was thinking about my weekly mileage the other day. You slowly build and, you know, how did you do that? 
Yeah, the slow build is the only way to get there. Again, if I had run 70 miles in a single week two years ago, it would have like completely broke me. I had an injury earlier this year, and so I took six weeks off of running. And like this this week is going to be the first week that I crack 30 again and feel good. All right, so um, you had to rewind also. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like it's almost the seventh month of of 2020 and I've I'm just getting back to like 35 40 miles a week so people always ask me how how do I how do I get started running how what's the secret like there the secret is there is no secret right (laughs) just have to be consistent yeah and the only way for it to feel good and the only way to get better is just being unspectacular for a spectacular amount of time and it's not about being great every so often it's just about being good frequently and it's the same thing with nutrition like you don't have to be perfect you just have to be good i think that a lot of people get stuck on the like i want to do it well now i was guilty of the same thing like i wanted to qualify for boston you know in my second marathon um but i (laughs) I was trying to do that in my first one so you're at least you're better than me Well, I I thought I was going to win my first marathon because I was so delirious at mile 16. But it's the same thing. It took me four years to to actually qualify for Boston after I made it my goal. And and it actually wasn't until I disassociated success away from like running sub three that I actually did. And so it took it took me standing on the start line, like not caring if there was a two, three or a four on the finishing clock for me to finally see that two on the clock. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and it was like, yeah, I had done the work and it, it felt different than ever before in terms of like, what am I, what am I looking at as like a measure of success? And on that day, it wasn't crossing the finish line in the time that I had ever, that I had never done before. It was enjoying every mile leading up to it and and having that having that day be like a celebration of you know the thousand or two thousand miles that that it took to get there what are some of your new goals now that we're not racing like uh, you said you're you know rebuilding your base and your average weekly mileage or is there some kind of goal that you set for yourself for training that you're looking forward to yeah my goal lately has just been like <laughs> run and run consistently and feel good. I turned 30 in August and I've always wanted to run 30 miles on my 30th birthday with like all of my friends in Boston. The last part might be difficult with social distancing and like I wanted to finish at a beer garden and um, all that stuff. So who knows what that part will bring, but my long run right now is 10 miles. Next week it's 14 miles. So, you know, I've got about two months to add 20 miles to that. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. That's really my only my only goal. I used to be way more focused on like races as goals and stuff, but lately it's just been like I just like to train. Yeah. And I just like the consistency of training. And honestly, like you take the races away, great. Like I just get to train and there's no there's no recovery needed after a big a big like deposit essentially. Yeah. I feel the same um, way. 
I like, yeah, and I love racing, but I also feel like I'm cool. Like I can find other goals, you know, it's not right. just training for race day. Yeah. I also would kind of like to time trial a, a marathon, which is just like t- totally opposite. And will you live somewhere that you could do stuff like that? Cause if you're like in a city, it's a little harder. Also, I'd like to, you know, play around with running a mile again. Oh, the mile the distance. Yeah. Yeah. My mile and my 5k time are PRs that like I I should be able to break. <laughs> my 5k PR is from 2014. So I've been running for like a year. And for some reason, I still can't I still can't break it. Sometimes it's uh, like your body just wasn't used to ever running like that. And so you just set the bar at a, a level that <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's well, kind of hard so to that, beat. Yeah, that race happened four weeks. Basically, I, I, I had targeted this race. It was actually Shalane Flanagan's fundraising effort in uh, her hometown of Marblehead. And I had run like six 5Ks in the last eight weeks. And so I was like really familiar with how to run a 5K. And I took a minute off of my off of my time over the last three of those. And so I was like pretty sharp in terms of like how to execute a 5K. And I feel like I ran way beyond my capability on that day. Mm-hmm. And just like ran like with my head and ran with like, I'm going to do this. And like, my goal was to break 18 and I broke it like handedly. And I just, I still think that I just ran way beyond my means on that day. And I ran that time in a workout last year or mm-hmm. a year and a half. Yeah. Last year in the middle of a, most of a 20 minute effort. And I was like, I can run this in a, in a workout, but I can't, I can't run in a race. It was very odd. I'd like to, you'd like to do that. I'd like to run fast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, what that's, <laughs> I would love to run fast and I've gotten even slower in the last like three years. And <laughs> it's not, it's like, it's like that goal is out there, but I don't really yeah. think I'm doing the things to get there. And any of my yeah. coaches or friends that are listening will, I'm just going to own it that it's I take full responsibility and accountability for the fact that I'm not getting faster because I don't run every day. I'm not doing the mileage, but that's cool. Like sometimes like that it is what it is, but I've re I've sort of like hit the refresh button in my mind, not yet physically, but it's it's a plan. It's like the goal for the next six months, I think, will be to work on increasing my weekly mileage consistency and then speed and whatever that means, like even if it's yeah. ba- bare minimum, but at least that'll be something to keep me out running. Speaking of running, you have this awesome podcast that I love for the long run. You've recorded over 80 episodes with pro, elite, recreational runners and experts in the world of running, like Shalane Flanagan, Kara Goucher, Scott Faubel, Ben Rosario, and so many. What are some of the great running lessons that you have learned from all of your conversations and maybe how you've applied them to your own training? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So I like these types of conversations just generally, and that's sort of the basis of the podcast. It was like I was having these conversations organically, and I decided I wanted to record them and share them. So I had been asking people, like, how have you been successful? And my goal with the podcast is to talk to people who have achieved something or been successful and like what is not like what is it like to cross the finish line first but what have you done to get there and why are you there and how did you what's next so my my podcast is less about the 
trophies and medals that all these athletes have and more about the work that people don't see that goes into getting there and, and keeping them there. So it's really interesting because there are some pretty consistent trends across high performance sport that I've learned from, from these guests. And again, the secret is there's no secret. Like these people have put in the work, they've disassociated from a time specific goal. Uh, Ben Rosario on the podcast was talking about, you know, approaching a, a race with his athletes and they don't talk about time or place or whatever. They talk about execution and, and running your race. And if you're in the mix at the end, that's when you race but it's all about getting the most out of your own ability on race day and sort of doing what you love and putting in the work so that you put yourself in a place where you can be competitive on that race day. But the race day doesn't mean anything. Right. It's just another data point. And so Ben Rosario from the Northern Arizona Hoka elite team. Yes. And he was yes, your so first he, guest, right? He, he was the first episode that I released um, and it was funny, I was in Flagstaff meeting with him and this was like totally off the cuff. And we were talking about the Northern Arizona elite team and like how they're always up for media and podcasts and articles and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, podcasts, you say? He's like, yeah, podcasts. I was like, well, I got two, two microphones and a digital audio recorder in my bag right here. You want to do a podcast? And he was like, are you serious? And I said, yeah. And so 15 minutes later, we were recording a podcast. That's awesome. And yeah, that that was a fun one. He's very smart. He was your first podcast. And so did you ever think you'd be like now 80 episodes in? So I hoped I would be here at some point. I didn't have a clue of what I wanted from it, what I was going to do with it. I just knew that I knew a lot of people that were interesting and that I wanted to talk to. And that's what I did. So I, did, I didn't plan at all. I just like, yep, I'm making a podcast. Uh, here's what it's going to be about. And here are you know 50 people I want to talk to in the first two years. And I just sort of dove into it. And um, yeah, I've recorded, I've released 81 episodes now. Yeah. And um, I think I recorded like 90 or something like that. What happened to the others? Or they're not out they're, yet. They're they're just, you're they're producing coming, yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Got it. So you are like very in the process of it, sort of like what you're talking about with running, right? It's like the process, yeah. not the end goal. Yeah. What are some of the other lessons that you learned besides like putting in the work and it's not just about race day? Yeah. I mean, that's like the, that's the biggest consistent theme. I talk a lot about balance and what that means to people. And people, a lot of people either say, I don't, feel the need to be balanced or I feel the need to let things ebb and flow. And like when I'm in a marathon cycle, I, or a training, hard training cycle or whatever, things ebb one way and then they flow the other. And Lindsay Krauss put it uh, perfectly. She's a, um, so I like to have high level athletes as well as high level um, professionals. And she's one of the best uh, writers about running or just right. writing she in general. Right, writes for the New York Times. Yeah, and um, and so her explanation of balance was fascinating. She called it a triangle. And sometimes it, the goal is equilibrium, right? Or having all sides equal. 
And sometimes your triangle is obtuse. Sometimes it's an acute angle. And sometimes one side of the triangle is bigger than the other, but it can't, it can't keep getting bigger. Otherwise it collapses and it's no longer a triangle and everything falls apart. And so I think that's like the, the most basic and perfect way to explain it, that like, it doesn't have to be perfectly equal all the time, right. uh, as long as it's not always imperfect. I like that analogy. I haven't thought about yeah. that. That's a really good one. Who would you love to interview who you have not interviewed yet? So if you had asked me that in February, my answer would have been Shalane Flanagan. And then I interviewed her and it was like, it was awesome. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't like have like a, a Des Linden maybe is, is probably the, like the next person that I would love to have on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, it's, it's less, you know, I've interviewed like a lot of, You've of interviewed a lot high, of amazing. Yeah. People. A, yeah. a lot of high level athletes, like yeah. all the people that I've wanted to interview for the yeah. most part. Um, at the top of at the top of the sport you set goals and you're running and then you like level up right you take it to the next levels yeah how are you leveling up on the podcast yeah so that's that's sort of where I'm at too it's just like stay consistent like I'm about I'm gonna hit 100 episodes soon and then I want to hit 200 episodes and I'm gonna hit a quarter million downloads and then I'll hit a half million downloads and for me it's it's just like just how like how you run it's like yeah. just keep doing it consistently I mean I would like to have consistent sponsorship i think that's the next like level up i've started working with brands and it's working and they're seeing right. an roi so i feel like once i've proven the the model there that like i can do it but it's like a game right like mm-hmm. how much how much more like i work in sales and i understand metrics and and setting goals and and for me like i like the numbers and so i want to see the trend continuing to go up and that's true with listeners. That's true with sponsorship dollars. That's true with, you know, bigger and bigger guests so that I can have the snowball effect that I want to have. And so the cool thing with the type of guests that I had for the first, call it 50 episodes, mm-hmm. they're all big names. And anytime they share it, it's exposing their audience to something new. And right. it's, it's exposing my podcast to a new audience. And so in theory, every time somebody promotes it to their large audience i should get another couple hundred listeners and if i do that twice a week for 50 weeks you know that's a lot yeah i mean i noticed that you you had it was weekly your podcast originally and now i see you have more episodes per week yeah part of that started during quarantine or it did start during quarantine because i was living um by myself in my apartment in boston and i was very bored (laughs) <laughs> and I wasn't like I was talking with coworkers and I was talking with friends, but I'm pretty outgoing and I have learned how much of an extrovert I am and how much I, I crave this type of interaction like we're having now, but yeah. also face to face. So I started doing it with video and I, I recorded like an episode a day for two weeks. And I, at the time I was doing one episode a week in terms of what I was releasing. And so I realized that I couldn't sit on 14 episodes and then 13 episodes. I, I couldn't sit on four months worth of episodes. So I needed to Put increase that. Yeah. Right. So 
last week I released an episode I recorded in late March and it was so weird to go back and listen to how things were in late March. Like things right. are it's so kind of surreal. Now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now I'm up to two episodes a week. Again, for consistency purposes and for for listenership, the more episodes you release, the higher you are in somebody's podcast app. So right. if I release twice a week, I'm going to be above all the other right. podcasts. This wasn't an intentional thing, but it's what I realized that, oh yeah, I'm going to go up in Spotify and look at my podcast or Apple podcasts. Like there's for the long run at the top of the list. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, I had started my podcast as a weekly podcast and then I started to add, you know, I this was when I first started, I was doing live events. And so then I would post them as like a bonus episode. And I started doing like tips and advice. I don't know. I mean, I think having more than one episode a week is good. I think it really works in terms of increasing your listeners and your followers. Okay, back to you. Not only do you have this great podcast for the long run, you also work at one of my favorite companies, Inside Tracker. How did you get started yes. at Inside Tracker? I have been an Inside Tracker for five and a half years now, and I got connected to them. My dad says it's the best $22 he's ever spent. It was an event hosted by a group called Executive Athletes, and they Inside Tracker was sponsoring the event. So I met so the CEO and the uh, founder, did a presentation, and I went up to them afterwards. I was like, oh, this is interesting, great, you know, I'm Jonathan, nice to meet you. And for whatever reason, they were interested in peppering me with questions and asking question after question after question. I was like, why are you so interested in me? That Like I was the youngest person in the room by 15 years and uh, at an event called Executive Athletes. I wasn't an executive. I was like barely, I had barely graduated college at this point. I was 24. So yeah, I graduated college. And I told them what I was doing for work at the time and they said, okay, cool. Why don't we hire you? Uh, and like point blank. And I was like, well, I like my job. I looked at my dad and he like glared at me. And then I was like, but I'm open to a conversation. And so two weeks later I had, I had an offer and I took it and it's been uh, an incredible ride ever since. And I absolutely love what we're doing. And uh, our mission is to help all humans improve life and longevity through a personalized approach. And it's so cool what you can learn uh, when you sort of cut through the the noise of everything that's everything that's out there. Like I've been recommending it since before I even did it because I thought it was such a cool concept. I yeah. actually heard about Inside Tracker through David Sinclair, who's been on my mm -hmm. podcast, and he's one of the he's one of the investors in the company. Yeah, and he's the chair, chairman of the scientific advisory board. I interviewed Gil Blander, who's the founder. And then you connected me with Ashley Reaver, who is the lead nutritionist. Yeah, she's one of the lead dietitians. And uh, yes, yeah, she's awesome. I did the Inside Tracker Ultimate Test back in January 2020 and was so thankful because I learned a lot about my hormone levels, blood glucose, and was low in vitamin D. So I was really able to boost all of these nutrients before anyone was even talking about COVID and our immune systems. That's it was awesome. super helpful to have that like sort of dashboard into what was happening with my blood and my biomarkers and my health. And then you send all these great emails. So what is your role at Inside Tracker? <laughs> so my role has evolved over the years yeah. uh, quite a lot. So currently my role is sales manager and endurance team manager. So I work with 
uh, I work with basically anything in the endurance world. And then many of the people that come to us with questions and like, how do I do this? And where do I do it? And tell me more about it. How does it work? That kind of stuff. And then prior to the COVID shutdown, I was traveling to races and, you know, going to see our athletes when they were racing and putting on events. And obviously we're not doing much of that at the moment, unfortunately, but yeah, it's sort of all things endurance, all things health and wellness focused and lately been in a bit more involved in making some strategic decisions internally based on sort of like the institutional knowledge that I've built up over the last five plus years where, you know, I talk to probably hundred people a week, 150 people a week and, you know, multiply that by 300 weeks. That's a lot of people that I've talked to. So I sort of take that and help shape the future by having the ear of who's using it. What they're learning from it and sort of, so you're doing like very hands-on community conversations, outreach and building. Exactly. Which is how we met. (laughs) Exactly. It's really, it feels very personal. It's like, it's great. I mean, in terms of like the emails that you get, it's very customized. Are you involved in the content strategy at all? Because the content has been awesome. So I, fortunately, we have people who are much better at that than I am. And uh, I will pass along the the kudos, but I can't take any of them. Um, we have a, a content team that's led by uh, my friend and, and counterpart, Mariah. And she's been with us for over four years now. And yeah, she leads a team of dietitians and other you know, credentialed experts that write for us. And so one of our big differentiators is that we don't have just a bunch of bloggers or, you know, people who are writers, mm-hmm. but all of our writers are also either nutrition students or actually credentialed in nutrition, meaning they're a dietitian. So right. nutrition communication is a huge aspect of what we do and translating science into how do I take advantage of this information in a very easy to digest, pun intended, like manageable way that, again, cuts through the clutter of all the noise that's out there and sort of myth busts all of the, the junk that we see on, on the internet about, about nutrition. Because nutrition is like politics. Everyone believes that their way is, is, is the right. way. Yeah. Yeah. The way. And there is no other way. And because I'm vegan or because I'm meat only or because I'm I don't eat carbs or whatever right I'm right and you're wrong and we feel that that's toxic and there cannot be one diet that works for everyone because that's not how things work and so our goal is to help you understand what you need and make it all about you because that's the way it should be and it's (laughs) science-based so it's like exactly there's um, no opinion involved exactly right so it's great I mean it's my go-to resource for nutrition now since I've come into since it's become part of my world so what about you I mean you're you know running you said like now you're back you're running 30 miles a week and you're building back up to your 50 or whatever it's going to be how do you stay healthy? Like what are, what's your diet like? What are you eating? And how do you use Inside Tracker to boost your performance and stay fit? People always laugh when they see me eating pizza or ice cream or whatever. And they're like, oh, aren't you the Inside Tracker guy? Shouldn't you be perfect? And it's like, it's like what we were saying before. It's not about perfection or like looking at foods as good or bad. It's like, 
for me, the biggest thing is eating as much as I can. Right now I'm training. This week will be like a 14 hour week. And so I need to eat a lot and, you know, just eating fruits and vegetables and, you know, stuff like that. You're not going to get enough calories. So I love pizza. I love um, baked goods. I like, I eat a lot of bread. Um, But it's, I don't, I, I used to be a lot more restrictive with what I was eating and it was unintentionally causing a caloric deficit and I was injured all the time. I wasn't restricting, but I was, you know, not eating things because I felt I needed to be perfect or like 95% good. Um, now I'd say I'm like very much like 80, 20 and Mm -hmm. feeling better than ever before. Again, I'm sustaining, I'm biking a hundred and something miles a week and, and kayaking and, I might even start swimming again. Where would you uh, swim? I, oh, in the ocean. Just kidding. Yeah, there's a there's a <laughs> pond. There's a pond at the bottom of the street here. And I just have to get over my fear of, you know, having my feet touch the bottom. Fish or stuff like that. You should just um, get no, those the, swim shoes. Not swim the socks from Blue Seventy. Oh, I'll have to look into that. That sounds like a perfect idea. Oh, I have two pairs because I don't like to touch the bottom of <laughs> the anything. Like not at yeah, all. That might be a game changer. The other piece is that it's the water is currently 62 degrees, so that's kind of chilly. Yeah, I'm doing a lot in a in a week, and so for me, it's just about getting in enough calories so that I can keep doing what I'm doing. Like I'm gonna go out for a bike ride. I'm probably gonna do 35, 40 miles, and I ran this morning, and I find it like a game. Like it's like a puzzle. Like how much, how much can I eat before I have like stomach upset before my next, you know, activity. Right. I mean, it's calories in, calories out. At the level of training that you're doing, I think it's up to you what what nutrition you get from the foods. But at the end of the day, you need the calories. Like you, that's just science, right? It's yeah. Like- well, so that's that's how I use inside trackers. I eat what I want to eat, but I also eat what I know I need to eat. Right. So I know I know the food. Like I know I need to eat fish twice a week. I know I need to eat meat. You know, once or twice red meat once or twice a week. I know that I need to you know take these supplements, I take magnesium, I take garlic, I take probiotic, vitamin D. These are the things I need. I know I need. Mm -hmm. Um, So food addresses the majority of it, the supplements address what I'm not able to get through food. And I know this from blood testing. And it's, again, not my opinion, but it's my data saying, you know, no matter how much you eat, you know, dark chocolate and dark leafy greens, you simply cannot get enough magnesium. So take a magnesium supplement. So that's, that's sort of what I've learned and and how I've applied it that uh, there are certain supplements that I'm, I'm never going to be able to get from a dietary perspective. So again, take a supplement. And then there, there are things that just, I need to make them a staple like oatmeal every day. I need to, you know, eat more carbs. I need to eat more fish. I need to, you know, do this, do that. And again, that's what I've learned through this sort of trial and error process that's been aided by science. And how often are you testing and looking at your biomarkers with Inside Tracker? Pretty much quarterly. I'll I'll do it after a race or a big event just cuz I like to see the impact of whatever that day did. Like it was fascinating to do it after the Grand Canyon. You probably uh, were like, you, yeah, tell me. Yeah, like totally trashed. So that the way that the Grand Canyon works, the way that the the day in the canyon functionally works, you go downhill for 5,000 feet and then you go uphill for 5,000 feet and 
it's really hard on your quads. Um, and in a way that, you know, most people don't ever get to train unless you're doing like, like mile hill repeats on a mile long hill. Right. That, that doesn't exist for most people. So it was really cool to see compared to a marathon. It was the worst I've ever been. Wow. In terms of recovery, like by a factor of three or four, like so much. So, I mean, I, I could feel different than I'd ever felt before. Like I couldn't wow. fall asleep that I couldn't fall asleep that night because my quads were pulsing. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Because they were, they were so sore. But then you look at the blood data and like my inflammation was, I think like an eight and the highest I'd ever seen was a two and a half, which is like pretty high for the HSCRP value. Right. And now, if, if you were to have that value on a blood test you've done with your doctor outside of, you know, <laughs> running a marathon or, or, you know, pounding your quads for 11,000 feet, they would think you had cardiovascular disease. So right. part of it is like looking at it within the context of like, what have you done? Yeah. Um, I mean, in every sense of the word, you the phrase, but yeah, so I, I do it pretty much quarterly plus post event. Yeah, that's smart. I like that. I'd like to get on that program. I actually, I loved what you sent over this week about the immunity at home test. I've shared it on social media. I like the idea of doing the finger prick at home. I don't know if I yeah. could do it. I'm going to try, but <laughs> I liked having the phlebotomist come over and take my blood. It was yes. literally right before we like got shut down. <laughs> the timing was great. Have you started sending people to do that again? Not in New York or New Jersey, unfortunately, yeah. but yes, in the rest of the country. Uh, it, so in the rest of the country, you can go into a Quest Diagnostics lab. Right. Um, New York and New Jersey are particularly difficult from a regulatory standpoint, as well as the lab that we were using is strictly using doing COVID testing. So yeah, I tried to, right, as they should be. I tried to, before I got connected to Inside Tracker, I tried to do some testing and I tried, like I looked into it and Mm -hmm. because I wanted to see what my different biomarkers were doing and the doctors are typically, you know, they're doing like the bare minimum basics. So, but you can't. You like really can't just like walk into like one of these like labs and get your blood checked at all. I mean, at least that's what the, what was happening. So that's pretty cool. So you have an awesome job. You've got this really great podcast and you're running. When are you going back to work? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) when is, when is your best life back to nine to five? (laughs) So it's funny because I love, I love this setup, honestly. Even though you're extroverted. Yeah, well, that part's really hard. Yeah, because I'm extroverted <laughs> um, I, too, and I'm like yeah. bouncing off the walls. Right. It's like let me let me at a restaurant with my friends, please. So I basically wake up, work for an hour or two, and then go for a run, and then work for another few hours, and then go for a bike ride. Right. Um, and it's like <laughs> this is this is great. I mean, it sounds I never, like me, honestly. And then I work yeah. all night long. Like I edit. Right. Yeah. So, so that part, that part will probably go on for at least another month. We're not back in the office at least until the end of the summer, uh, which even that feels like super early. So I don't know. I mean, it's sort of like a, a big unknown. Yeah. I also love, I mean, I've always worked from home. You know, I have an office at WeWork, 
but I'm used to being here working and then, you know, do all, I record all of my podcasts at WeWork. I do all my meetings at WeWork. And, you know, when I have like big projects or clients that I need to get working on, I'll be at WeWork. Um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, I, I have no plans of meeting with anyone, you know, outside of the social distance or going into an office building or an office for a while until they have a vaccination. What are you looking forward to when you get back to Boston? Friends, restaurants. Friends, restaurants. Yeah. I mean, I when I go back to Boston, I actually have to move. So I'm, I'm not looking forward to that. But being in a new apartment will be super fun. I'm moving in with a friend and we'll have an extra bedroom and extra space. And so, you know, if the work from home thing goes on for longer, uh, at least it'll be a little more spacious in the city. Awesome. Where do you live in Boston? So I am currently in Alston and I'm moving to Brookline, which is technically not Boston, but that's really great. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love Brookline. Yeah. Yeah. Brookline's Brookline's cool. And it's right in Coolidge Corner. So in theory, I moved there to be close to everything, but that's now, uh, you know, a con instead of a pro. We have a lot of hills there. That'll be fun. Yes. Right on the marathon course. I would really love to run Boston. I want to qualify. Yeah. That is the reason why I like. What's your favorite distance? Do you have a favorite distance? I mean, I really like the marathon. I kind of want to run more half marathons, but I really like the the hurt of a 5K. And it's the kind of thing that you can just like, you can rip it and then you can be fine, you know, the next day. Yeah. This has been super awesome. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast, Jonathan. Of course. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. <laughs>